Hello. Hello there. Hi. How are Hi. you? I'm good. Good morning. Good morning to you too. I guess it's a little bit earlier there, isn't it? A little bit, but it's nice. So yeah. I'm sitting outside. So if you hear birds or squirrels shouting uh, oh. on your recording, that'll be why. <laughs> That's great. That's really good. So are you there for vacation or for work? Um, I am visiting my parents. I'm on a, like a bit of a freelance and learning sabbatical at the moment. Oh, okay. That I would come visit my parents for 10 days. Oh, that's nice. Yeah. Yeah. I haven't been home in a while, so it's been good. Okay. So you're from out there, like in Colorado? Yeah. Oh, good. What, what brought you to Toronto then your work? Uh, well, actually, so what, what it was is I, I was living in China. I was in China for five years after graduating from college. And then, um, I fell in love and Mm -hmm. I moved to Toronto with a Canadian boy, um, Mm. and immigrated, uh, and turns out I like Canada so much. I decided to stay when that relationship didn't, didn't quite work out. Oh, nice. Yeah. We like it here in Canada, and we like when new people show up, too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it, it's interesting. It took me a really long time to to like Toronto specifically. I felt mm. it was a little cold. Yeah. I had a hard time because when I first moved there, I, I couldn't work because I didn't have the residency status, and I wasn't uh, going to school. I was doing my master's degree online. Oh. So I had a really hard time creating a connection with the community it wasn't it wasn't until I was able to work that I was able to do it Mm. Um, but fortunately you know it doesn't take very long once you hook in but um, initially it's kind of a challenge yeah that's a good point um I feel I'm not from Toronto but I moved here and I had French. I'm from Winnipeg and I was in Halifax before this. So still, you know, other places in Canada, but, and then when I moved here, I had, you know, a decent chunk of friends, but I started, uh, working at CSI, which is, I guess is, I don't know if that's how, you know, Paul, but, um, that's how I know Paul was through the center for social innovation. Yeah, that is actually. And, um, I, when I was able to work, I was working for Jane's walk. Okay. Uh, which is the you know, it worked, it, the, our office was out of CSI and I met all of these incredible people. Um, and that is how I know Paul. Okay. Uh, and also it's the structure of it is a network, um, across the entire city and it's mm-hmm. a network of people who are invested in communities. So I got really lucky. Yeah, that's great. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> wow. Yeah. So I, you know, I, Paul, in, in during my sabbatical, I've been just sort of spending time with all of the coolest people I know, and Paul's one of them. Um, <laughs> and so, you know, we're talking about this project that I'm working on, and and about um, community building. And he was like, "You should talk to Mandy." <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, finally, finally. Yeah. Sorry for all the confusion leading up to this, but <laughs> okay, that's actually on me. I should have confirmed. Um, I should have sent you an email to confirm before. Last well, time. yeah, but I also should have replied and I just like, I put it in my calendar and I didn't even think. And so I just like had it there and, you know, I mean, there's always steps that get missed these days, but 
So yeah, so tell me a bit about the project that you're working on. Yeah, so this is um, it's one of my sabbatical projects. And if you're not, the, the distinction between things like co-living and co-housing and intentional communities, the, the vocabulary is, is kind of wonky, especially now that co-living is taking this sort of new emergent form of adult dormitories. Mm. Um, so, uh, you know, to co-living generally is just a bunch of people who don't, who aren't related to each other, who live under the same roof. Okay. Um, and more recently in, in city, in large cities, um, especially cities in North, North America, not so much Canada, but in the United States. And then in cities in Europe, um, co-living has, has sort of started to grow as this uh, model for housing that increases residential density. So you mm-hmm. are, you know, instead of single family homes, you're having, you know, apartment buildings and um, you can put more people into spaces when you have smaller individual units and larger shared spaces. Um, so it's becoming really, really popular among like the Silicon Valley types. There's a, there's a co-living development in San Jose that's going to be absolutely massive. It's several hundred people. Oh, wow. Yeah. Um, and, uh, it, you know, they're building one in Ottawa, um, but there aren't really any in Toronto yet that are at the sort of scale um, mm-hmm. that has happened elsewhere. And so I've just, I've been research about what a good human experience looks like in a co-living situation, going around talking to people who are who are living a little bit differently, who are building communities um, for themselves and creating households that are not typical. Um, they're not single family households. They're not just a couple of roommates living together. Um, people who are doing things differently. Um, yeah. So that's, that's why I was interested in talking to you and, and learning about your housing story. Well, I, I just want to start by saying like that made me like, that's so refreshing to hear you say that. And it made me a little um, teary-eyed just like hearing the care for that kind of experience because we, that's, that's uh, like, that's why we did this. Like we did this for community. We did this for human experience um, because we, we love each other, like as a, as friends and sort of a modern type family, like none of us are related biologically, but you know, we wanted a different kind of experience, but we got so much press at the very beginning and no one really engaged with us about the community aspect. It was just so financial based, like, because obviously the markets are crazy here for the housing market. And so everyone just like latched onto the fact that we were doing this to split the mortgage. And it's like, that's not why we did this. That, that was like, that was actually the like secondary decision. And that's kind of like made it like a reality, but we have been talking about like co-living for like over a decade before we actually bought a house together. So that was really nice to hear you say that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's it's so important. It's um, I, what I would love to see happen is is something like the com- the level of community or sense of community that you get at a place like CSI mm-hmm. happening in a co living situation, um, mm-hmm. because it it shouldn't just be a rotating cast of 
of just random people who turn up in your in your living room who you don't really know I think yeah huge tragedy and I think that that's there are developments for co-living where that's the case Mm -hmm. so yeah it's something that we want to avoid yeah absolutely um so yeah did you want me to do you have questions or, or do you want me to just sort of talk about what our experience has been like? Yeah, I don't have any specific questions. I would love if you could just sort of tell me a story and I might ask a couple of interject and, and ask for clarification or, or yeah, absolutely. A different path at, at different points, but just feel free to, to narrate. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think, um, I guess just to start with like that, just reinforcing that that idea of community has been a huge motivator for all of this and um and we've we we actually so we've done a few things to um to make sure that that continues to play out even once we bought the house because I mean the reality is that there's lots of uh logistics and there's a lots of you know financial issues that we need to take care of on a regular basis like owning a house together because we do all own so there's four of us who own the house me and my partner Mike and then Lindsay and Bronwyn who are a couple and they they live upstairs and we live on the main floor in the and in the basement and so um, we we created, you know, everyone started saying like, oh, do you, what's your legal documents like? And we actually didn't have any legal documents about our relationship other than the fact that we were all on the mortgage together and we all are on the deed and all of that. But we uh, chose not to do that. And a lot of people think we're crazy for doing that. But we have a spirit agreement that we worked on for over a year Um after we actually, once everything sort of got settled, we knew we had this idea of a spirit agreement that we wanted to to create and that really captured, you know, the elements of this experience the, that we wanted to maintain and adhere to. And so we did a- Is, is spirit agreement a term that you, you, you guys use for it or is that a thing that I just don't know about that. Um, sorry, I think we just made it up. It might exist, but we <laughs> we made it up. Sorry. I really, I really love that term. Yeah, I know. Um, it is possible that, so Bronwyn was the one who started that. Bronwyn and I sort of took the lead on that and she may have got that from someone else, but I think she might've come up with it or we all came up with it or something. But yeah, it's, and basically it's, you know, it includes some of the like logistics, like who takes out the the trash and who cleans out the compost bins, but it's, but that's all in this like umbrella of, because we want to contribute to the shared space and we all want to be contributors of this community. And so we have, um, we have a list of like philosophies. We all work to develop, um, I think we have like 10 guiding philosophies or guiding principles that uh, talk about things like openness and our communication. One of the things that we felt really confident with going into this relationship was our ability to communicate and be open with each other. And what happened, you know, at the very beginning was really tough conversations around money, which we anticipated, but you can never anticipate how it all comes up. And so we were just really fortunate that we had spent, you know, over a decade as friends being able to talk openly about 
pretty much everything else in our life. And so this just became another thing that we could talk very openly about. And it was important when, you know, financial stuff comes up because it, you know, the reality is a lot of people have a lot of trouble talking about finances. And it got to a point where when we were getting our mortgage together, we actually had to provide financial documents of all of our parents because each of uh, two of the parents, I guess some, I can't remember how many, but some of the parents were giving some money as gifts to us. And we had to document that and the parents' um, financials had to get seen by everyone. So we all had to have this as one big document because we had to present this to the bank. So some parents were like, I don't want that information out there. And, you know, and so it just like created all these like uh, uncomfortable conversations that we had to work through, which we did. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And, and knowing that you were going into uncomfortable conversations, um, is there anything specific that you did? Like, did you have like rules of engagement or or, like little rituals that you used um, to kickstart uncomfortable conversations or was it just this understanding of openness and and good communication? I think it started with uh, just us having done it. And then I think we've created some strategies around that to maintain it. Um, and one of those strategies are that we have, uh, we started off having monthly house meetings, like community meetings where, um, which now has gone to every four months because it just, it got too intense, but um, where we had to, we always started with like a debriefing, checking in with how everyone was doing on a personal level and then how everyone was doing on a community level and just reminding ourselves that we, like we're friends first, like we are, um, you know, before we get to all of the logistics, we're friends first. And so it's, it was kind of a strategy that just like got us down to our human level again and out of our any defenses that we might come up because or that we might be bringing to a meeting because we would know that we'd have meet, meetings planned and that they were going to be uh, challenging conversations. And usually it's, you know, around money or people's in, like the contributions people are making to the community or whatever. excuse me. And so we always make sure to, we always make sure to start with like getting back to like us as people and as, as humans and, and kind of being vulnerable, like, you know, sharing what our struggles are of the month or whatever, and, or joys or whatever. And just like bringing that like emotional experience back in and then using that to remember that we're each talking to a group of humans, you know? Um, I mean, that's kind of a, an abstract strategy, but, you know, it, basically like on paper, it's like we have a, a, we start our meetings off with debriefing and checking in, or I guess we call it checking in. And then we start to debrief uh, different experiences and we always have a debrief. So, you know, when a major project happens, like we did a big, uh, we created a deck and like a whole bunch of stuff to change the outdoor space. And there were a lot of uh, issues that came up with that. And so we knew they were coming up in the time. And so in our next meeting, we scheduled a debriefing session where we each had got to go around and share what our experiences were, what the challenges were, and also what we 
really appreciated in each other during that situation. So we always we always remembered the good and the bad so that we could talk about it more openly. Um, and so I, having kind of a sense of who you guys are and, and you guys being the sorts of people who, who seem to be used to having conversations and communicating well. Mm-hmm. Um, for people who may not be used to communicating in that way, <laughs> um, who aren't necessarily comfortable being vulnerable. Uh, I'm curious if, if you have any, <laughs> <laughs> advice? any strategies or advice for generating um, the kinds of good conversations you need to have in a co-housing or co-living situation. Yeah, we at one point we had come up with uh, a list of like starter questions and then like they gradually get more challenging, like kind of like a game for people, because I think we all think that it's it's practice, right? Like it's not easy to have these conversations, but every one of us of the four would say that being able to communicate is necessary. Like if you can't have these open conversations and they're going to be difficult, like it's, they're not easy. I mean, those of us who have these types of conversations know that they're not easy. So other people avoid them because it is hard, but we, we just think that it's like, it's imperative because it's like we're in, it's like we're, we have an extra marriage here. So we're, we're all, you know, partnered up. And then we have this like four-way interaction of kind of like being married to another couple because we have to make decisions that often married couples have to make, right? Mm -hmm. So, and if you don't know how to communicate, I mean, we know there's lots of literature on what happens when you can't communicate probably properly in in a marriage and it often doesn't fare well. So I think you have to treat it if you want a co-living experience, like if you just, you know, and that's what we're talking about, right? So if you want to, to really have the human experience, you have to be ready to have those conversations. And if you're not, then you have to start prepping that and start with, you know, like nudge yourself a little bit forward into these challenging conversation conversations. Mm-hmm. Cause they will, they will come up like, you know, people feel taken advantage of like, you know, um, different things come up where someone's done more work on a particular project and then they have to share with the rest that, you know, I feel like I did all this work and no one else was helping me, you know, and then someone else might get defensive and say, well, you know, I was doing all this and no one acknowledged that, you know, and we've gone through all those conversations. Like we, you know, even like going around and saying, okay, what does everyone feel like they've contributed to the community this month? And so we get space to share that. And then we also let everyone else hear what we feel like we've been contributing, right? And because sometimes you feel like your contributions, like what we put um, importance on is different for other people, right? So sometimes like watering the plants is like a really important contribution, whereas you know, I had an Instagram feed for us for a while and I created a website for our community because we wanted to share this with everyone. And so I felt like that was really important. And I wanted to make sure that that was, you know, acknowledged as a contribution just as much as like whoever else was watering the plants, you know? Mm -hmm. 
Um, I'm curious. So I have a theory and I'm curious mm -hmm. what you think about it. Um, in co-living situations in the way that, that they're taking shape when businesses are running them, the main selling point is convenience. Mm. So they, they're marketing themselves on this, um, their ability to remove friction. So they are, they provide the furnishing, they provide the cleaning materials. They provide, um, they actually, a lot of them will provide house cleaning services. Hmm. Wow. Um, they take care of finding your roommates. They, they do all of these things mm -hmm. and they make it extra convenient and, and very easy to live there. And my theory is that in removing those things, um, you're removing interdependence mm -hmm. and you're making it really, you're actually making it really difficult for people to create a sense of community. Yeah. Yeah. The curation of community through ma ensuring that there's like-mindedness within is mm -hmm. interesting to me because I, I can see that being really, really important if you are buying a house together. Um, mm -hmm. but when you're renting, um, with the understanding that it's very likely to be temporary. Mm -hmm. I wonder if there's value though in using it as an opportunity to encounter difference. Um, For sure. I mean, I think it depends on, on the person, you know, I mean, maybe it's just really about like extensive interviews with the people so that it could be a, a curated community of diversity, you know, or a community, uh, like a curated community of similarities, you know, I mean, I just think for me, I protect my, my living space. And so that's really important to me. And if I'm going into a, a space that's meant to be a community, like co-living environment, then that to me means I need to know who the humans are, who are part of it. Right. Um, whatever that means for me, like maybe I do want to share with all, you know, people with a different political philosophy so I can get into good debates at night. Like that's fair, but, but to me, it's about the people. So I want to know who the people are. Like that's the most important part. Mm -hmm. That's interesting. Yeah. <clears throat> the, the difference between how we think about our, our living spaces and how we think about all other spaces. Mm hmm Living space is a little sacred. Yeah. Yeah, because it's where we retreat to and and we do want to feel at home, right? Like if this is a space where you want to be home. Otherwise, if it's not, like if the people aren't taken into consideration, it, it just becomes a, a dormitory, right? Yeah. It really is just a place to sleep, but... And that is or, a business model for some, some yeah. living businesses. And, you know, it's profitable. And there, if there's a need for that, then, you know, serving that need is great. In a place like Silicon Valley where, you know, you have, you know, people who desperately need places to live. And these are professional people right. who need places to live. And they're not super interested in, you know, having a nice home to come to. They just need a place to sleep. Great. But right. I, I think that there's, there's an appetite for alternative mm -hmm. models of co-living. So one of the things I'm just remembering that Lindsay and I did, so Lindsay and I live together. So we've, all of us have lived together in some different capacity over the last 10 years or more, more than that. 
that. So Lindsay and I were the first to live together um, back in Halifax when um, she was still in undergrad and I was doing my PhD, I think. And we um, we had decided to move in together um, after she had been in a like terrible situation with a bunch of roommates and I had been living on my own. So I was hesitant to like move in with a friend, but we, we actually had a coffee date and we went and talked about like what our, our um, skills were as a roommate and like what we brought to the table and what our sort of the, our weaknesses as a roommate. And so and we just did this. I don't even know what prompted us to do this. I guess we didn't we didn't want to get into a bad situation. And mm-hmm. it was so interesting to think that we ended up living together now and buying a house. But doing that sort of set the foundation that when, you know, like I'm messy. I am a messy person. And so when my messiness got in the way of her, she had an easy channel to come back and say, I know you're a messy person because we talked about this, but it's it's sort of it's encroaching in my space a little bit too much. So what can we do about that? And so we developed a, a system for that, which I think involved me paying her to clean my room once a week. <laughs> that, that's brilliant. But, yeah, but it was like I know what I have to bring, and I know what. And I also I I said I liked cleaning bathrooms. I like cleaning bathrooms, so I was the bathroom cleaner or whatever it was, you know. And so we we got to have this conversation about what we can bring, uh, and it was really about living standards. It wasn't even about the intellectual or philosophical space at that point. Mm-hmm. Oh, so interesting. Um, <clears throat> I know that we're coming up on eleven, but I did want to ask something that I've been asking everybody because I think it's an interesting question, which is um, what what is it that makes you feel at home in a space? And where have you lived that you felt most at home? Uh, um, I don't know what makes me feel most at home. That's a really, I think it's the, like, I, I almost want to say the people, the people and the space, I don't know, feeling um, like it's, familiar familiar is is big for me um of people or of space or of energies or whatever I think I mean this is definitely one of um where I felt the most home since you know leaving my my home as a child like I lived in the same house my entire life until I left for undergrad so obviously that was very the only home I knew um and then nothing else really felt like that. But this is our house. It took a while to feel like that, though. It it required us doing work to the house, either as like my my partner and I or the four of us together. So I think the more we do stuff to the house and do projects together and have goals together, it feels more like our home. Hmm. Um, so I think that's what, like even, yeah, like the other, like two weekends ago, we, we, we did the backyard and... They were going to do it before at one point in the summer because it was a bit easier for timing. But we're like, you know what? Can you wait for us to do it? We really want to do this all together. And we have young kids and and they were part of it. And it was such an amazing weekend. And, you know, we all said thank you at the end for us doing this together because we had a goal. We worked really hard. We had challenges. We had joys. And it was, you know, another opportunity to, for us to feel like this is our home that we're building. Mm-hmm. So I think, are there, yeah. are there any spaces that you feel 
at home that aren't necessarily your home? Oh, for sure. I would say like CSI felt at home to me. Like I, I used to, uh, I'm not there as much, but when I was really active, um, like there every day, I was at the Bathurst location and oh, that definitely we probably knew oh, each other. Maybe. I mean, I haven't <laughs> been around for like five years, probably the Bathurst. So it's been a while, but, ah. but anyway, like that felt like a home for sure. Like, you know, we, and plus like the cafe was there. It was a different cafe than it was, um, Nick's cafe. I can't remember what, what it was called, but it was this is a uh, coffee, coffee pub or mm-hmm. whatever it was. Anyway, uh, that space felt like home because it was familiar and I'd go there all the time and, you know, and, and you know, the people, you know, the energies around. So yeah, that definitely feels like home coffee shops. I mean, I love coffee shops. So there's lots of coffee shops in my, in my past that have felt like home. And it's just the, it's the familiarity for you. For me. Yeah. It's definitely familiarity, but familiarity of the space and the people and their energies and like how it all, it works. So yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah, that's really great. Um, A lot of times when I ask people that question, they say something very similar. uh, Oh, really? Yeah, it's um, it's about who's there, Mm -hmm. and not necessarily what's there. Um, Which is it's hard to convince a developer that that's the thing that matters. (laughs) I know. I know. There, there. I, I guess. I mean, when you're when you're a planner or a developer, you're you're um, interested in floor plans. Mm, um, and figuring right. out what floor plan serves people best, but yeah, um, that's, I think that that matters, but, um, additional attentiveness to who is there is really important too. And that's what I'm getting from, from yeah. these conversations and especially from this conversation with you. Yeah. Yeah. It's, this, is, this is an interesting project that you're involved in. Um, it sounds it sounds great. And I'd love to, you know, talk more if you need to, or, or even if you like keep me posted on how things are going. Cause uh, I love, I love your philosophy or your attempt with this. And I think it's really needed, but it's super interesting. And um, I'm really glad Paul connected us. This has been such a, such a good conversation. Yeah. Well, thank you. Thank you for reaching out and yeah. And I hope we can talk more about it. Oh Yeah. <laughs> For sure. I, I, uh, and like the rest of your work that you do is super interesting as well. So maybe sometime when I'm back, we can have coffee or something and, and chat more. Definitely. And, you know, I almost started going there, but I, like, I really feel like these philosophies permeate almost everything that I do. And uh, I, like, I was just, if I can just say one more thing quickly, like, yeah. you know, the, the idea of like knowing who's going to be there, like I, even for the courses that I run in my, through my company, we interview everyone and we develop these like little mini relationships so that when we get to the actual course starting, everyone there has had some kind of interaction with at least one or two other people, mostly the staff. But then we know like what the energy is coming in. We know kind of the vibe of it and it just, and, and as a result, the community aspect shows up really quickly in the courses that I run as well. And I think it just speaks to this, like kind of a curation of who's going to be there, but I don't know. Anyway, it just, it makes me think that 
there's something to this knowing who's going to be part of a, a, a home space, whatever home means, home of yeah. the heart or home of the physical space. Yeah, for sure. I, so. I agree. All right. Thank you so much, Mandy. You're welcome. You're welcome. Well, let's stay in touch and uh, enjoy the rest of your time in Colorado. I will. You have a great week. Thank you. Bye. Bye Bye-bye. Thanks again for listening to Mandy Land. I hope you enjoyed the conversation. And if you have any thoughts or questions or comments or insights or anything that you would like to share, please do so. Email, text, message. Also, don't forget to check out the show notes or head to our website, www.mandyland.ca, and you can find resources and links to things that we talked about in the episode. Thanks. Have a great day. Bye.